Welcome to the Tim Talks Politics Podcast, a conversation on government, citizenship, and America's place in the world. I'm your host, Tim Malash. Let's talk some politics. All right, welcome back to Tim Talks Politics Podcast, and we are going to be continuing our fall series on the 2020 general election. And uh, as I started this series, it was I introduced it as an opportunity to talk about different facets of the election, not necessarily focusing on the personalities involved, but focusing on the ideas, focusing on the different uh, cultural and sociological elements of the uh, of just what it means to have an election in America. So today, I'm really excited about uh, our interviewees, and yes, that's plural. Up to this point, uh, we've been doing one interview at a time or one person interview, and today we've got two. Uh, and that is, be- well, that'll become uh, obvious after I let them introduce themselves. But uh, today we're going to be looking at a facet of the election that seems to get attention pretty much every election, and that is the role of uh, the evangelical vote. Uh, and this is a phrase in itself that comes up, comes in for its share of uh, of definitional debate, who are evangelicals, what do they stand for, why do they vote the way they vote, and if you remember back to the 2016 election, that was uh, a big part of uh, the election of Donald Trump, or at least that's been part of the narrative of the election of Donald Trump, and so as we approach the 2020 election, I thought it'd be a good idea to actually hone in or focus in on that particular uh, facet of the election, is what does it mean to be an evangelical Christian and approaching the Uh, approaching the election of 2020. And to do that, I've brought in Josh and Jeremy Matlock. Now, a couple of things, a couple of uh, important points of background before I let them get to their mics. One, I've known them for a long time. Uh, Two, uh, I haven't talked to them in a while until now, which is pretty exciting. And then three, uh, they're twins. uh, But where it gets interesting is they are both pastors and they're both pastors in different parts of the country. So I'll let them go from there. So Josh, why don't we start with you and let you introduce yourself and I will kick it over to Jeremy. All right. Welcome. Great to be here. Uh, Josh Matlock and I am pastor at Bethany of Montclair in Southern California, uh, about 45 minutes uh, east of Los Angeles and a small church of a couple hundred people and been here for 12 years with this church and formerly at a a mega church in Orange County. I uh, graduated from Biola and I graduated my undergraduate with a social science, political science emphasis um, myself and then went on and got, and then God called me into ministry. And so I left that, that realm to focus more on theology and then went into, went to Talbot and then now I'm pastoring. Awesome. And, uh, and then I'm Jeremy, and I sound a lot like Josh probably, uh, but uh, because we are, we are twins. And um, I also, like him, went to Biola, and then I went on the mission field uh, for several years in Russia, and then came back and was a teacher, and then decided to go to seminary and, um, and get back in, uh, in, and pursue being uh, in the pastorate, but ended up being a missionary again in Russia, and... Um, taking teams over there, and then uh, teaching again, and finally landed in the pastorate. I uh, was looking for a job and found one out here in Kansas. I had a friend who was out um, here. And so I'm in the middle of Kansas, uh, about 45 minutes north of Wichita, in a town of, of 3,000 called Hillsboro. 
And in our town of 3,000, we have nine churches, and uh, my church size is about 350. Uh, so it's it's pretty remarkable. One out of 10 people here go to our church. So. <laughs> uh, but I came as an associate pastor five and a half years ago, and then this uh, fall uh, became the lead pastor. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join, guys. I mean, I'm really excited to dive into it. And maybe we can just start there, Jeremy, with your move to Kansas a few years ago. Uh, just because I think one of the things, uh, I think, you know, all three of us have had teaching experiences at some point in the past. Um, I think for me, when I was uh, teaching uh, high schoolers, uh, one of the things that when I would teach geography is to just get them to kind of think through the fact that America is huge. <laughs> America mm -hmm. has 50 states and uh, that's not all like Southern California. And that would sometimes blow students' minds a little bit that uh, just the rest of America didn't look like them. So for Jeremy, when you moved out to Kansas, what were some of the uh, differences you saw from Southern California or some of the, you know, cultural clashes you might say, or some of the adjustments you had to make? Yeah. Um, some of the bigger stuff was going from, from big city to small town, mm -hmm. uh, more, more so than anything. And my wife and I kind of, we, we, we feel like we may have had more of a cultural adjustment going, moving to middle America, small town, middle America, than we did uh, moving to Russia. Uh, just because the people look like us, but there's a difference. Uh, there's in, in our community too, we're a, a strong Mennonite brethren community, um, which, uh, yeah, so there, people are very connected. And, um, so we, you know, there's a being on, beyond the outside took a while to be more inside. And I don't think we'll ever be inside. Josh is actually more inside than me because he married uh, some with a midnight Mennonite background. Um, and so they have these numbers, like they always, they do the Mennonite game of uh, how you're connected or related to people. Cause everybody's related to somebody. And so that when you meet somebody is how you're related. Um, and there's a website where they can actually, they have assigned numbers to everybody and they, you can put two names in and show the connection. Josh has a number cause he married uh, someone with a Mennonite background. I don't even have a number, so he's more in than I am. <laughs> You've got your passport, right, Josh? That's right. That's flash right. that every time you uh, you go to Hillsboro. Cool. All right, so um, that that's really uh, I find that really interesting. This idea that you know you move to a place where everybody you know more or less looks the same. You might might see like the same make and model of cars on the road, but then there's a, a slight disconnect in terms of how you uh, uh, might be looking at things, how you might, uh, you know, what values you might give priorities to, uh, do you, can you, uh, maybe expound on that a little more, Jeremy? Yeah. And, and you know, one of the, in that everybody's related to each other in some way, not, not, and not everybody, but you know, mm -hmm. you, you just never know when you're talking to somebody, if, um, if they are related to somebody else. So you gossips are really tough thing here. You know, people are really careful not to gossip because uh, mm -hmm. you just don't know. Uh, you might be talking about somebody's uncle or something like that. And, um, or if you disagree with somebody and you share that with somebody else, this disagreement you had, that can become problematic or even talking politics. The Mennonite brethren are really big on peace. And that's a big tenant of Mennonite um, background. And, um, so they will avoid a lot of times talking about politics or anything that could 
cause division. And okay. so, yeah, trying to learn to be sensitive to that has been interesting. So, uh, let, so maybe I can uh, segue off of that, Josh, and kick it over to you then. Where do you, where do you see the political discussion? How do you see that playing out, you know, in the pews, so to speak, in the, uh, I mean, if it's kind of like in the context Jeremy's in, it's kind of this uh, situation where people are hesitant to talk about politics. They want to preserve a, you know, a degree of unity uh, and don't want to introduce something that might do that. Do you see similar dynamics at play or are there, are there other, uh, does the denser urban, more diverse population in California create cross-cutting currents that pull against that? It's kind of a leading question, I know, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh we've had people do not, I wish there was a little more of a desire for peace <laughs> and, okay. uh, and, and, and that was a higher value rather than actually stating your political ideas and uh, opinions there. Um, I think in some evangelical churches and I, and, and, and I would say in, in mine, some people really feel that, or believe that you're, if you're a Christian, you're an even, uh, if you're a Christian, then you're a Republican. Mm -hmm. And so to say something, I don't think sometimes they even think that they're necessarily being divisive, uh, when they state things like that are very, you know, Republican. Um, and so <laughs> very red, <laughs> very red. Yeah. 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 And so they, they, I think they think that everybody's a sort of an agreement with them and they're mm -hmm. surprised even, um, uh, when they would find out, Oh, whoa, there's, um, we have Democrats in our congregation, you know, things like that. They just don't, mm -hmm. don't know. And, and, and I think with social media, the amount of discourse and divisive discourse has just gone through the roof and it's, mm -hmm. it's very, frustrating as a pastor um yeah. to, do you, uh, oh sorry go ahead go ahead and finish that thought frustrating as a pastor it's, it's, too it's frustrating as a pastor to, to have to see that and see that kind of division when we shouldn't really this is such a it's it's a it's a secondary issue it's not a primary issue i mean it's a tertiary issue um mm -hmm. as far as politics but uh, we're letting politics divide us even in the church yeah how do we flip that script i mean if you are talking about um if you're talking about politics as being a secondary or tertiary issue for uh for a christian believer what is that what would that mean if, if you were to say that to a non-christian i mean when you're when you're saying that because you know most of my most of my audience is non-christian so um what does that mean to say politics is secondary because i think i think the popular connotation for non-christians in america is probably going to be evangelical christians i mean their politics is their religion. Unfortunately, I think that that might be a unfortunate label that's been attached to them. Um, so how do you, how do you clarify that as being like, no, that's not the case or that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. I think it really comes down to the Christian value. And I think this is what is so missing right now is the idea that our kingdom is not of this world. And mm -hmm. the, the idea that we, we, we follow, as we follow God, we believe that there is a kingdom that is greater than any political kingdom or entity on this earth. And therefore we have a, something higher than politics that we have to put first. And so any political 
issues have to come secondary or even potentially tertiary. So, um, so like even like this Sunday, I, I was talking about how um, the world didn't know is in first John, the world didn't know, doesn't know us. It didn't know him. It didn't, it didn't know Jesus. And so the world didn't understand Jesus. And so they're not going to understand us. But yet the problem is a lot of times as Christians, we're trying somehow to fit in to this world. We're trying to fit in, in politics into a party. And so we're saying, Oh, which party do we fit into? Which is the Christian party? Mm -hmm. And so anytime we're going to try to fit in anywhere means we're going to compromise something. And I think as Christians have tried to fit in to a political party. And I think mostly as far as like white evangelicals, which we would represent, um, tend to have said, Oh, we, we, you know, we, we fall into the Republican party. Mm-hmm. And I think we've compromised too much for that. We've compromised the kingdom over that. And one of the things like I was saying, I said, I got, I have Christian friends uh, who are Republicans who say, just vote your values, vote your values. And when they say vote your values, they mean vote Republican, right? Vote mm-hmm. for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But I have Christian friends, good Christ following loving, wonderful Christians who believe in the authority of God's word, who are Democrats, mm-hmm. who say, vote your values. <laughs> and yeah. when they say vote your values, they mean do not vote for Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. He goes against Christian values. I'm like, how does that happen? How do, <laughs> you know, how do you, how can it happen? Both of those things be true. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't be. So obviously there's values on, in both parties that uh, Christians can hold and uphold, uh, but should we be be holding to one party and try to fit into one party? Do you guys think? <clears throat> excuse me. Do you think the uh, that value clash or that that idea of like you know vote your values and that means voting for one party or the other uh, is that? Um, how was I thinking about this question? Well, let's start there. Where do you think that value clash comes from? Why it, why would there be such a strong, like, you know, bifurcation in understanding just what even those values are? I mean, when people say, uh, vote your values, are they, when they say your values, do they typically mean these are Christian values or do they mean these are, you know, values from the Bible or, you know, what what do they mean by that and what values are they usually emphasizing when they're looking to one party or another do you think yeah the way uh the way i'd see it is that um typically talking you know if you're christian republican then your values are uh pro pro life meaning not um for abortion mm-hmm. um and that uh, you're—that's that's one of the bigger ones when you talk about moral values. I think is um, and and responsibility um, in the Bible of um, that you, you know if you don't work for it, you don't get it. You know you don't reward laziness, uh, and so I think that can be extrapolated to the uh, the welfare state, and, or people mm-hmm. do that. Um, Pro heterosexual marriage, yeah, uh, yeah, good one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to a, a traditional, um, traditional gender roles and marriage roles, okay. um, 
And then on the, well, I see on the, you know, the Democrat side, those who are Christians um, are there because uh, they see the value of caring for the poor and, um, and the downtrodden and justice. And, you know, where my heart grieves is that I think we all in general have similar values. Sometimes we, you know, exalt one value over another value, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I think really deep down, we all want about the same things. It's Mm -hmm. just, we disagree on how to get there. And the sad thing is that we don't, we uh, discredit one another. If we disagree on how to get there, then um, uh, we write the person off uh, and uh, think of them as evil and just think of them as, as, as not wanting the right kind of a thing or not valuing what they should value. Cause you know, Republicans. They can't possibly be a true, uh, true Christian, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Republicans care for the poor. Uh, I, you know, depending on the person, you know, just as much as the Democrats do, but it's the question is how do you, how do you do that? What's the mm-hmm. best way to care for the poor? Republicans care about immigrants. Uh, they're accused of not doing that, but, it's just how do you care for immigrants uh, and such. So not that everything that the Republicans do is right. I'm not saying that at all and that there, there shouldn't be more care. But I think we do. We all on both sides, I think I don't think most Democrats are like, yeah, let's kill babies and are, you know, just wanting to end life, you know, uh, that they're not pro-life. But how do they get there? So. Where do um... – where do you guys, because you're a few years ahead of me in, in your careers and your interactions with uh, evangelical culture, um, I mean, I, I generally consider myself having grown up and been raised Catholic. I'm kind of a transplant to evangelical culture. So there's, there's definitely times where I'm kind of looking at evangelical culture or, you know, warring, cle- you know, seeing cleavages in evangelical culture, thinking to myself, whoa, where did that come from? Like, I, I don't get this. I don't understand the, the heatedness of this debate. So, from your, from having been involved, I guess, in that culture probably longer than I have, where, where do those cleavages come from, do you think? Uh, where do they, because uh, it sounds like we're describing, uh, there's two things I'm hearing right now. One is the divisions and polarizations and the attitudes that can emerge between, you know, people who would consider themselves evangelicals seem like they mirror or par- parallel the broader American cultural um, divisions and polarizations, and they can get just as heated. Uh, so that's the first thing I'm hearing. The second thing I'm hearing is uh, is that these these cleavages are real in the evangelical culture. That, that we're not talking about a monolith, uh, a voting block that just goes one direction every every uh, election, even though polls might make it look like that. Um, so where where do those divisions come from, and where did you guys first start seeing those divisions really materialize uh, in the evangelical space? Yeah, we, uh, we grew up, so I, I mean, our formative years were in the 80s, 90s, and uh, the moral majority, uh, religious right, you know, was was in full swing, and mm-hmm. it was a, it wielded a lot of political influence, um, definitely under the time of Reagan, uh, there was huge influence there, and identity with that. And I think there, there was this, I mean, politics tends to 
you know, I've been watching both, uh, watched both uh, national conventions. Both parties like to, in politics, strive or, or use fear, um, right, as to, 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 to get people to follow them and vote for them because you have to be fearful of the other side. And I think there was a really, really good job done that, that, that it was made to, that made the left, uh, made people on the right so fearful of people on the left as though they were coming after our religious freedom Mm -hmm. and they were going after, you know, babies and, and and may, and they, they pinpointed a few different, um, you know, things that somehow made (laughs) crystallized, I guess the, 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 what made it made the right, the right. And, and, and somehow got Christians to just, hold on to those, those particular values against other things and then paint the other side as just so, so evil mm-hmm. that it, um, I've had to like, I mean, I personally, this year has been a year for me to, I've had to really kind of confess and repent of my own, um, my own fear of the other side and um, mistrust. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like I grew up implicitly, trusting if it, if the words were coming from a republican's mouth i trusted it mm-hmm. and if they were coming out of a democrat's mouth they were suspect that's how i grew up and i might it wasn't like my parents necessarily taught me that but somehow that's just the way i i and i've had a i've had to realize that that's that's mm-hmm. an issue with it within me mm-hmm. and it's not right jeremy what how would you uh how would you kind of characterize the the origins and um, of some of these cleavages and where they uh, came from? Because uh, and and this is where uh, your answer, Josh, is actually kind of interesting to me. This you know coming of age in the era of the moral majority. So just how big a disconnect there is for me from some of the kind of like uh, legacy of the evangelical right in politics is I never heard the phrase moral majority until I was in college in a history of film class. <laughs> so my senior year, and, and I think this, this would probably be relevant to you guys because uh, and to my listeners, because all three of us, Josh, Jeremy, Jeremy, and I all went to the same uh, college for undergrad, Biola University. So, uh, so it was interesting to me that you know, you you can say like, yeah, this is the, what we grew up in. For me, like I'd never even heard of the moral majority. And I think looking back, I, I, I saw that my parents probably were familiar with at least some of the ideas or the personalities, but even then there wasn't this kind of like, there wasn't any sloganeering surrounding it or, or anything like that. So yeah, I remember coming across this moral majority and thinking to myself, what's this? <laughs> so just, I mean, and you guys aren't that much older than me, but just, it's interesting to note just how big a difference that can be in understanding uh, evangelical culture and the political space. There's some, uh, some large uh, differences and changes that have come over, but I'll, I'll kick it over to you here, Jeremy, and maybe you can expand on, uh, on this um, kind of rapid fire history of evangelical <laughs> culture and politics. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I have a whole lot of um, insight on it other because I think you have to maybe have to go a little older than I am maybe to, to see where um, evangelicalism or, you know, yeah, the, the, the uh, 
became so enmeshed with politics uh, in looking to the government to solve our problems uh, and fight our fights and demand our rights. Um, I mean, I, I think lately, though, um, we've had more and more outspoken um, evangelical leaders align themselves with party, you know, and we didn't have that before. I mean, the evangelical church, like you said, we're not monolithic. We don't have a speaker for us. You know, you've got your Jerry Falwells and you've got your, you know, people, uh, Franklin Graham and stuff like that, but they don't represent everybody. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think that's one of the biggest mischaracterizations or yeah. misunderstandings of the evangelical vote is usually they look to these individuals and say, Oh, that's the guy who speaks. And, and it's just not the case. Right. And when I was a kid, we didn't have that, you know, Billy, Billy Graham was our guy, but he was not political. Uh, and he was, he was an event. He was even, he, he was an evangelist, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, he was about saving the lost. Uh, given the good news of Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for your sins and, and offers you freedom from them. Um, yeah, it, it's a very different people that we have very different people that are publicly speaking out mm -hmm. uh, on behalf of evangelicals. And I would say they don't represent me. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a, a good point because I, that's, uh, I, I think that is a surprising shift and maybe, and for me that helps understand why uh, some of the, outspokenness of some evangelical personalities and leaders has received such vitriolic responses from uh, people, especially in my peer group or younger, uh, is that, um, and this is one of those things where I'm kind of like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I'm new to this king, to this uh, neighborhood. Uh, but maybe that's why that helps me understand that a little bit more is this uh, sense of um, all of a sudden there's this there's this awareness of the perception that's being created. And that is the perception of a monolithic evangelical block and a yeah. almost, it almost like uh, gives the sense that um, that it's like evangelical is actually a denomination or something. Right. When it's made up of right. lots of different denominations and maybe uh, just actually, maybe we could, should go there. So maybe pivot away from politics just a little bit uh, before coming back to it. Maybe we should actually define that term. So, uh, for those in, in the listeners who are, are not Christians or not evangelical uh, Christians, to a Christian who identifies as evangelical, and they don't mean that in the cultural or political sense, what do they mean by that? You want to hit this one, Josh? <laughs> Tim, you're smarter than us. You can do this one. Uh, well, <laughs> oh, I mean, thanks. ultimately, I mean, or beginning, it really, it, it didn't have to anything to do with uh, so much yeah, politics or anything like that. Um, but it mainly that it was a, it was a reversion to, um, more liberal theology that, that started, um, focusing away from maybe the, the, the gospel message that Jesus Christ came to this world to do away with sin to, uh, by, by dying on a cross so that he could bring forgiveness to us that we might be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him for eternity. And so um, there was a rejection or a, a, a 
de-emphasis on that and uh, emphasis on a lot of other things in liberal theology, and, and that's our eroding. So, the, so out of that kind of came evangelicalism, this focus on we need to preach the gospel, and it's about well people as, making decisions. Yeah, as well as um, the belief that God's word is, that the Bible is um, accurate and infallible and inerrant, uh, that there is a literal heaven and hell. There's an eternal destiny somewhere that had been being denied too. That's part of the gospel message. I mean, you can't, you can't have the gospel without that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a coming back to that or a reemphasis of, of those, those, uh, beliefs. So this was, so we would say it was kind of a, it was a particular uh, strand of theology. And because it was a, a particular strand of Christian theology, it was a, strand that could be uh, present in numerous denominations, right? So you could have a evangelical right. Methodist denomination and a more liberal theology Methodist um, church, and they'd be both part of the same denomination. So, uh, right. right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so I it, think was that, a, it was a theology that uh, the theological emphasis that crossed many denominational boundaries. Yes. Okay. I think that's uh, really important because when we start talking about the, uh, the fact that evangelical voters do not behave as a monolith, I think that's really important because you have to understand that it's a, it's a theological strand that permeates multiple uh, denominations. And so if, if it crosses multiple denominations, we probably shouldn't assume that those multiple denominations are going to, uh, you know, all have the same political playbook or <laughs> political theology or something like that. Um, maybe, maybe I can uh, bring it back to this, uh, this point we kind of started on, on some of the differences, even ge geographic uh, differences, being that the two of you are in two states. What do you see as being kind of like the, uh, I know we were just saying evangelicals are a monolith, but maybe if we were to like create the average evangelical voter profile for California and the e average evangelical voter profile for Kansas, uh, how would you guys describe that? In California, uh yeah, I mean, I, I think it really does follow along the lines of where you saw 81% of white evangelicals. But I think there's a difference between white evangelicals and, and black evangelicals. I got friends that are uh, pastors of churches that are black evangelical, and they would not, did not vote for Trump in large numbers. Um, and so when we look at, look at sort of this evangelical vote, I think we're often we got we're talking mostly about a white evangelical vote um, okay. when we're like mis, when we're characterizing this like this block that voted for Trump, um, and that would be something that would be more apparent in Southern California, right? Like one of the most diverse pieces of property in America, right? Or one of the yeah. most diverse territories or whatever we want to call it, subregions. Yeah, so I think in California, it's it's going to look different. I mean, my church looks different. I mean, mm -hmm. my church, uh, I mean, what was California's a, a blue state, you know, and I live in a more of a red county, um, probably purple county. Um, but uh, in my church, I would say it, we didn't follow exactly the eighty-one percent uh, that voted for Trump. It would, I would say, it was probably more like sixty forty kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. But they do believe in, uh, I would say they do believe in more conservative 
values. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and being in more of a red state here in Kansas, though we have a Democratic governor uh, uh, now, we're becoming we're a little little less red. Um, but I, it's hard just for me to describe um, a typical uh, evangelical voter because, you know, I mean, people do talk politics, but it's in their circles where there's some safety uh, to mm-hmm. talk. And, you, and uh, I'm not in a lot of those circles yet. People aren't talking politics with me. <laughs> but, uh, but I do know, you know, through the grapevine and stuff like that, that um, we have many Democrats uh, mm-hmm. in our church. And so, you know, as red as we are as a state, it's, it's diverse. Um, yeah. Mid, perhaps 70, 30, 60, 40, something like that. As far as voting for Trump, it gets even more diverse because you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of Christian evangelicals that may have given Trump um, a, go, a try on the first time and are now disillusioned mm-hmm. uh, or, maybe feel like we voted him for him for the Supreme court. Uh, and now we've got that. And so, you know, okay. Or, or, or whatever there, you know, um, or we the just, reasons that existed last time don't necessarily apply here. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think you have more defectors, but I think you also have a lot of, I mean, Christians that I've talked to, I mean, there, there are some that are, um, that, that do love Trump and, think that he's God's gift to earth, uh, mm-hmm. but, or to America. Uh, but, um, what's that? The earth. A lot of <laughs> That's what a lot of them think. Yeah. I don't um, know guys, that sounds a little globalist. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but m- the majority of the evangelicals that I've talked to, um, held their nose and voted for Trump and will probably many of them do that again this time. Uh, just as many, you know, and, and people say, how do you, how can you do that? And stuff like that, you know, but I, many Democrats, I think are going to hold their nose and vote for Biden this time. And now they can see what it's like, (laughs) you know? Uh, Yeah. Not that that is your pro one person. It's just, you don't, I think a lot of, um, a lot of evangelicals uh, are support the conservative values of less government, Mm -hmm. more personal freedom. um, And, and and some of the moral values yeah of the of the right mm-hmm. yeah they i think that another thing that's point about with evangelicals is that if you were to go and poll most people who are in a church that where the pastor would say yeah this is an evangelical church if you were to go in and ask uh those people within a church if they're an evangelical they probably would have no idea that they're an evangelical Right. When they, when they survey people, I mean, like, so it's, it's not on our literature. It's not on our websites or anything like that. Like we're an evangelical church. Um, so when you look, when you look at pollsters who are trying to figure out like how did evangelicals vote, they first have to go through a sort of criteria when they, when they, when they got, get you on the phone, right. And say, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Okay. Then we, we classify you as an evangelical because of those beliefs, but most people don't classify themselves that they don't know what that even is. Um, yeah. That's kind of important to know too. It is an important note because now we're talking, about evangelical uh, categories, like we're talking about evangelical as a strand of theology, but now what you just identified, Josh, is there's evangelical as a sociological category or a cultural category, uh, which 
might not even be accurate to the theology, right? It might not even parallel the theology very, uh, very closely. So it might even, um, well, it actually, in my mind, it seems to it would raise this issue of the idea of an e- a cultural evangelical as opposed to a religious evangelical. Would you say that you guys kind of see that um, in your interactions or in, in your circles? Yeah, I'm not sure if this, if this is exactly answering your question, but um, one of the, the sad things that I've, uh, you know, noticing in the church is that the um, many in the church are handing over their responsibility to the government, you know, mm-hmm. and so they want the, it's like the government's going to be Christian and promote Christian values when that should be our job. Mm-hmm. Uh to, to, to love our neighbors, ourselves, to, to preach the good news, to care for the poor and such. And, you know, it's, it's easy for, for a lot of people to say, um, yeah, we care about the poor. Um, and so, you know, but we don't think the government should be handing out welfare checks and creating a dependency there, but then not care about the poor and actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, we are handing over, too often, I think, our responsibility to the government and also aligning ourselves too much with the government um, to where we are manipulated and, and are a political arm of the government. And that and raises the stakes, that. right? That raises the stakes every election where you do have to make sure, like, it's your guy, it's, it's your, your, uh, your evangelical values person in there. And that, that's, that kind of compounds the problem, it would appear. Yeah. 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 Yes, I, I agree with that. And I'd say another thing within evangelicalism that has kind of come through over the year, over the decades, and you'll patriotism mm-hmm. uh, in evangelical churches is pretty interesting. Um, a lot of American flag waving and things in, in the evangelical churches, they're very patriotic. Um, uh, and I'm speaking general, very general, generally here. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that is true of necessarily my church, uh, but I had to take away some of that. Like when I came here mm-hmm. um, on certain national holidays, they would put out flags across, I mean, tons of America. I mean, it, it, you walked in, it just red, white, and blue, blah, uh, just gushing. And, and it was, I was like, this is a turnoff to the next generation because if we're here, we're here for Jesus. We're not here for our country. But there was, this, I think, an identification in a lot of evangelical thinking that America is somehow this has a, a salvific role in sure. the world uh, to to be this city on a hill, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that we are God's. God's country. And so we got to preserve that. And so I think when Trump came in here too, he, he really promoted nationalism. Right. And, and that's just patriotism on steroids and the evangelicals just really bought into that so much to say we're, yeah, like here, he's going to make America great again. And mm-hmm. this nationalistic kind of a th- fervor, cause that's what I always like struggle with is like, I get like why I voted for him with my nose you know, with plugging mm-hmm. my nose and uh, doing that because I was hoping for a couple of good Supreme Court justice picks, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I voted for him. 
I don't know if I, right now whether I'm going to vote for him again. I, I can't say yes or no at this point. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But what I don't get is the people that just in, that are in the church that just love him and, mm-hmm. and put him on a pedestal. A guy who's divorced twice has said the things he said about women and, and just just the thing it made his living on gambling. I'm mean, just things that go totally against so many of our values mm-hmm. as Christians. You know, we put on this pedestal, but it, it really ties in. I think a lot of it into that nationalism that has invaded the, the evangelical uh, mm-hmm. thinking too, which, you know, I don't see as all bad, you know, um, I, I totally agree with Josh. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um, I, I don't see it as all bad. I mean, that, I mean, nationalism, yes, but, pride in your country. You know, I mean, uh, I don't think, I don't see it as a bad thing. And I think what has happened is we, you know, is all the time societies, we swing on these pendulums, we go from one extreme to the other. And there was so much anti-American talk before this, that we are the the problem for the, uh, of the world in, in, in America is just uh, this horrible nation. And, and stuff that that was being told people to where you people felt bad for being American. And then now you got somebody coming in and saying, Hey, you know, um, we, we got a nation to be proud of. I'm going to make it great again and stuff that resonates. And, and it's not bad to be proud of your nation uh, and your heritage. And like one of our, one of our theological points is that, that that evil is the perversion of good. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Good, yeah. Patriotism can can be a good thing, mm-hmm. but you can pervert that patriotism into, right. into nationalism, and so and that's where it gets evil, and, and it's been a, I think, a problem that needs to be repented of. And I think, uh, I think one of the things you, what the two of you are identifying here, though, is I think one of the things where I would probably draw the distinction between, say, like what I would call cultural evangelicalism versus theological or religious evangelicalism, and that is the patriotism question: is how you respond to uh, how how you respond to the idea of America? How do you respond to the American? Not that not that being a theological or you know religious evangelical means that you hate America. It just means that it's like your patriotism is in its proper place, right? It's it's you're you're proud of your country. You're proud of where you are, but you're not. Um, you you don't necessarily see it as kind of like necessary to the salvation of the world in in that sense, right? You don't have that. Yeah. Nec- you don't, don't have that political party necessarily. Right, right, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I think that's probably one of the distinctions I've been seeing, um, kind mm-hmm. of in my transplant outsider role. Um, just because yeah. we are getting a little short on time, there is one question that I'm I've been really intrigued by because I think um, this is something that. Uh, that it's just kind of like a, it's been growing as a personal um, thought in my head, like a personal, like uh, not philosophy, but just a, uh, yeah, a potential um, issue is that in political science, we talk a lot about the decline of civil society uh, in America and that you don't have as, a, as prolific a civil society as you once had. And there's all sorts of things to blame for that. There's the uh, radical individualism, the, uh, there's the emergence of social media and how everything can be tailor-made to your own taste. So there's no need to like, uh, you know, do things with people. Now you can be your own kind of like brand of one and all that stuff. So we can, we can point to all those things. But one of the things that um, I've been thinking about is as civil society has declined, as institutions of civil society have declined, 
uh, churches remain and religious institutions, so this would apply to synagogues and mosques and, and temples as well, uh, is that religious institutions remain some of the, remain key elements of civil society. Uh, but what seems to be interesting to me is that as civil society institutions weaken, but houses of worship kind of re retain their places in communities, it almost seems like more is being, more uh, burdens are being laid on uh, houses of worship and religious congregations to kind of uh, be instructors in civics uh, for people in order to, you know, as part of civil society. And yet there's some limitations for you as pastors. You're not, you can't like necessarily, you can't talk pol politics from the pulpit kind of thing, right? Um, is that, so how do you, how do you thread that needle? How do you uh, address, yeah, I mean, in a, in a polarized, politicized world, how do you pastor well in that context? Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, it, it's hard. Um, I think it's very, very difficult. Um, I mean, we can talk politics. We can guide and, and, and you know, you don't want to like necessarily endorse uh, candidates for, you know, but I've seen, I've seen, uh, well, there are, there's a, there's a Christian pastor in our neighborhood that, uh, yeah, no, he tells us, go ahead and do this, you know, endorse a, a candidate. Mm -hmm. it, it's your right. And so some do, I just think it's really bad taste. I don't mm -hmm. think we need to because I think it most of the time it comes down to emphasizing certain values. Mm -hmm. And so I think coming back to sort of the voting your values is important that if we is, if we teach good Christian values, that's going to, some people are going to line up voting for a Democrat and some are going to line up voting for a Republican. And mm -hmm. but we need to teach the values that the, the Christ teaches mm -hmm. and have, help them have a proper perspective on government and its role mm -hmm. even right now with the covid kind of thing it's been an interesting one to talk about right we didn't even get well, there <laughs> yeah, yeah right <laughs> with romans 13 1 and 2 and did you yeah, submit yeah right yeah mm -hmm. but jeremy yeah. can I add? uh yeah i'm trying to teach people um about not uh, about not judging each other you know and, and trying to understand motivations for you know why why we're acting a certain way or voting a certain way um, and help people to, to love people across the aisle um, as Jesus would. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a challenge in talking specifically on, on politics, but um, teaching those principles, like Josh said, uh, is uh, really important. Um, I, um, blah. I forget what I was going to say. So go, go <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. No, I think that's helpful uh, because that's one of the things that I've been uh, thinking more and more on is just uh, even as we, uh, even as we see people decry the polarization of the American public, I, I'm looking around going, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's some real issues here, but there's also some strong institutions of civil society, but we've also created, uh, you know, churches being one of them, but we've also created, uh, certain cultural expectations where uh, it's almost like um, it's a bit of a catch-22 for pastors where, you, you know, people are looking for that guidance uh, on how to engage this, you know, complex world of uh, politics and what it means to be a Christian and democratic society. But on the other hand, uh, you know, it's off-putting if a pastor actually starts going there. And But Josh, I think you make a, a really important point is that, you know, talking about politics doesn't necessarily, especially in the role of 
pastor doesn't have to be about endorsing candidates. I think you both kind of touch on this is that there's, uh, there's this need to actually uh, teach people uh, to, uh, to think well, to, uh, to, you know, examine and have the right values uh, to um, in which to engage their, their community and their neighbors. Right. Yeah. And one of the things Josh and I were talking before this, uh, you know, is um, teaching nuance. I think that's Mm -hmm. the art that we've lost in our society and in our churches is to be able to be nuanced. It's like, you know, I, I support supported Trump. It's hard to say anything negative Mm-hmm. about him without then feeling like you're condemning him entirely and his platform and, and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it, it, our society is all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it feels like, and so there's a pressure to either align completely with the democratic party and you can't say anything negative about them. Uh, you only can say negative about Republicans and vice versa. And uh, we need to learn that nuance to be able to say, yeah, if, if they did something wrong, let's just call it out and say it was wrong. Uh, that doesn't mean we have to align with everything in that party or that platform or that agenda. Uh, such. So uh, teaching people to be more nuanced, I think, is important. Yeah, I find that um, something I routinely come back to with my own students is uh, emphasizing the role of intellectual humility as you uh, engage some of these ideas. Because you're right, otherwise you get swept up in the polarization. It becomes really difficult. Well, gentlemen, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's uh, wonderful to reconnect with you guys, hear your thoughts. Uh, I wish you the best as you continue to work in um, your unique roles and your unique places. Uh, So God's blessing go with you. And uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully doing another uh, conversation. Maybe we should do a uh, post-election wrap-up on this (laughs) afterwards. But uh, yeah, so have a good one. It was really good chatting with you guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Tim. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Tim Talks Politics Podcast. Thank you so much for joining the conversation whenever and wherever you're listening from. If you're in a generous mood, I'd love it if you would leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Helps to improve the show and increase its visibility in the marketplace of ideas. And please be sure to check out the show notes at timtalkspolitics.com where you can find additional content and subscribe to my newsletter, The Weekly Brief. This is Tim Malosh. Until next time, have a great week, and I will see you again on the Tim Talks Politics Podcast.